0: be astonished it's that time again let's get started from the clatsop county historical society an adventure in history with mac burns and alana quila
1: you should never be allowed to talk to people some people without brains do an awful lot of talk and now with today's adventure it's mac and alana good evening and welcome back to an adventure in history Happy April and everyone survived April Fools' days. Anyone get you? Have you ever had anyone April
0: Fool or is April Fools?
1: Ooh, man! (laughs) it's fools. I I remember a few weeks ago,
0: (laughs) you were all about it's saving time. Exactly.
1: (laughs) We've made a lot of converts. I've had a lot of conversations about that one. I have as well. Yeah. So. I feel good. I feel good about it.
0: Though I feel like it might have baited some people into like wanting to say it to your face <laughs> oh. just to see your reaction. <laughs> oh no! Incorrectly.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I'll be. I'll be ready for that. Nobody. Nobody did that on April Fool's Day for me, though. So. That's good. Yeah, I've never really had. I don't think I've had anything big ever happen. No, like I find it kind of silly. Right. Um, my daughter loves it, of mm-hmm. course. You know.
0: Although I will say, my, my son when he was like six or seven. Discovered, you know, like on sometimes your kitchen sink has the little rubbery one that can come out.
1: Oh yes. You know, now uh-huh. most of them have
0: like it on the, the downspout, but right. there used to be like on the mm-hmm. side a little one that you pull out. But you have to turn the water on from the main thing first. But my son put rubber bands around the spray <laughs> oh. thing, so like when my wife genius she was the one that got it instead <laughs> of me or.
1: or my daughter but
0: you're just like you're going to like rinse something out and all of a sudden the spray is coming across (laughs) from the side it was a a pretty good joke
1: but he got mom oh man
0: and i don't know where he thought of it where he heard it It it's probably like on spongebob or something right he's like that's a great idea that's (laughs) That's that's, genius
1: that's pretty young though to be that bold that to do it yes okay and not
0: just leave it like it's a ticking time bomb of not knowing who's gonna get it
1: (laughs) i like that one yeah Okay, so, you can't use I, it though, I don't have that sync.
0: And I do have to give a, a shout out to a loyal listener. Oh yes. Max, thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for listening, Max. Yeah. We like the feedback.
0: All right, so um, shall we get right to it? Let's do it. So these are things, as always, the things to talk about tomorrow.
1: Yep, on Monday. April 3rd. Okay.
0: And loyal listeners that have been with us for a long time No, this is a very special date to me. It is. For a few reasons that we'll get to. Um, 1865, Confederate capital of Richmond is captured.
1: Mm.
0: Bad choices. (laughs) Leaving the United States. (laughs) Right. It happens. Uh, 1882 in St. Joe, Missouri, Jesse James is murdered. (gasps) Shot in the back of the head. Yes. While he's hanging a picture, straightening a picture frame. And I have seen the bullet hole.
1: Oh, have you? Yeah.
0: The Jesse James house is Uh, still there as a museum. Is it a museum? Okay. Uh, it's on the, the grounds of the Patey House Museum. Okay. Which is a big giant old eighteen hundreds uh, hotel. And they moved the Jesse James house a few blocks and put it on the on their property and you can go into the living room and whether it's really like the actual bullet hole or it's just mm-hmm. been people's fingers in right. a hole in the wall over time, you can't you can't shove your fingers in it anymore. But it's like framed over. <laughs> Uh, 1948, President Harry Truman signs the Marshall Plan. Oh, that was good. We're gonna. It is good. We're going to rebuild Europe. Oh. Uh, 1953, this was almost the history highlight of the day. The first issue of TV Guide.
1: Oh, interesting. <laughs> Do you still get TV Guide in your house?
0: I, not at all. You know, ever since it changed the shape and the size.
1: Oh, is it bigger now? Yeah, it's like a magazine. It's a regular magazine. Well, because people don't, I mean... Younger people don't need it. <laughs> no, they don't. They're <laughs> not
0: watching TV. And plus, right. how would you with streaming today? How right. would you even? Oh,
1: it's true. Right, that's true.
0: It kind of surprises me. There is even still a TV guide. Yeah, it seems wow. odd.
1: Advertisers are buying advertising, so somebody's reading it.
0: And on that first cover was uh, Lucille Ball's new baby boy.
1: Oh, what was his name? Do you have that? Uh,
0: he became Desi Arnaz Jr. Okay, the stage Desi. name. Got it. Uh, 1973, the first mobile phone call. Ooh. is made in downtown Manhattan, New York City, by Motorola employee Martin Cooper to the Bell Labs headquarters in New Jersey.
1: Martin, how'd the call go?
0: I don't know. I'd love to know, and I didn't check to see if Motorola and Bell Labs are are connected. Or, but I like the idea of their being rivals.
1: Ooh, right. And him
0: outside go, guess what? <laughs> I'm calling you on the cell phone. Well, don't do you works. think he
1: called another phone, cell phone, or no? No, I assume he, he called a landline He ca- Okay. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Well, no, but it says, well, I don't know. We'll have to do some more research. All right. Uh, 1996, the Unabomber is arrested. That was good. That was good. But our history highlighted today, and there's a tie. There's two. Oh, two. Yes, it was too hard to choose. 1860, the Pony Express debuts.
1: You love it. Out
0: of St. Joe, Missouri. (laughs) The Pikes Peak Stables, where I spent five years of my life as the executive director. (laughs) Upstairs in that building,
1: and you loved it every minute. It. You, you always love your first love. Yes, that's and that true. was my
0: first museum that I, I was the director of. I sat in the big chair,
1: and it was a unique. It's a unique story and yeah. a unique experience that it happened is. in the United States. Didn't last that long.
0: No, so did you already know that, or did I did because
1: learned I've learned it from you?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> it was eighteen months and it was a financial failure. You it
1: into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yes, but there's more I can learn.
0: There is, but the uh, the tie. Okay. On this day in 2003, um, let me make sure I read this correctly. So Mac this Burns, Mac oh. Burns, starts <laughs> his job as the executive director of the Classic County Historical Society.
1: Oh, I twenty and, years. And why did I not remember that?
0: <laughs> I started on Pony Express Day very purposefully. Ver- yes? I wasn't supposed to come in till next week. Oh. But I got here into town a week before I was supposed to start, just so I could come in I'm, and officially start on oh, Pony Express that. Day.
1: Oh, that's so good! And longest serving, you became the longest serving executive director. Well, six years after six years, yeah. And twenty now they just—they can't even get rid of you.
0: I mean, <laughs> well, let's hope at
1: twenty years, they're I like, still got things to do. Oh, yes, ooh, that's exciting.
0: <laughs> so twenty years, and actually, because long ago I learned that like your birthday, you really turn the next age the day before
1: because mm. your
0: birthday you're starting the next year. It's true. So we're here on Sunday night.
1: Yes. You're so here working on a I, Sunday night. I have
0: just completed, in a few hours, 20 <laughs> years on the job.
1: This is what happens. <laughs> I love it. Well, congratulations. So. <laughs> We're so glad you came to Clatsop County.
0: You know, it, it was very discerning. After I got here, I read all of the board minutes. And I, I told this story once, and that's how this became the, the catchphrase of the longest-serving director. <laughs> because I got here, I read all the old board minutes, back to like 1950-something, of the Historical Society, and all of a sudden, I was struck by the very first executive director was 1980. Uh, before that, it was all volunteers. Okay. And amazing run of volunteers getting right. stuff done. And we still count on volunteers. But they hired an executive director in 1980. And as I'm reading the minutes, executive director fired. New director hired. New director quits. <laughs> no. New director hired. And I started, after about the fourth one, I thought, oh, my goodness. And I started tallying. I went back and okay, how long was each one here, and what happened to each one, and why? Why has there been such turnover? And that's where I realized that there was there was a, a executive director that lasted just either just under or just over six years. Okay. And I made the comment when I passed that to somebody, <laughs> who then it stuck in their brain, and they started saying it all the time. <laughs> the longest serving, serving director. Serving. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very nerve-wracking because I discovered that my second week here.
1: Oh, my god! And I thought,
0: I just quit a job that I liked. I moved my family across the country. And is this place doomed somehow? Am I doomed to, like, <laughs> be one of these numbers that leave in a year or two years?
1: They just hadn't found you yet. It was
0: it, it was meant to be.
1: A Mac made in heaven. And I've raised, <laughs> I've raised my kids here. It's I home. love it.
0: But we thought we thought this is going to be a vanity day.
1: Yes. Of course.
0: Although we talk about things that aren't specific to local history all the time, <laughs> so
1: but they affect us. That's but, what we right. I mean, that's we right. say if they if they affect us or not.
0: So we're going to talk about the Pony Express today. Let's do it. And it's such a great story, and I actually could give like a fifty-minute lecture on this,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I won't allow it. <laughs> With or folks, without Don't visuals. worry.
0: <laughs> so we thought we we talk about the Pony Express. We'll probably run out of time. Okay. But uh, the early mail delivery. Why was the Pony Express even necessary? By the 1840s, the influx of pioneers to the northwest via the Oregon Trail, the uh, Mormon migration to Utah, and the flood of settlers, uh, especially after the gold strike in California in 1848, had created an increasing demand for mail delivery to and from the east. You had all these people out here on the west coast. California's right. a state. You've got the territories in Oregon and Washington, and, and there's people that want mail. They want and, information. Right?
1: And families split apart, too, right? Mm, I mean, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because... Not everybody goes west. Right. You leave somebody behind. So sending mail from the East Coast to San Francisco via steamship was one solution, but the long hazardous journey (laughs) involved sailing either around the southern tip of South America and up the West Coast, and that took about six months.
1: At least.
0: Or down to uh, malaria-ridden Panama, where the isthmus to the Pacific would be crossed by mule and canoe, Mm. and then the final leg of the trip to California completed by another steamer, and that took about uh, three months.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh,
0: either way, the trip took months. It was also expensive, costing the government more than $700,000 annually. Oh my gosh. while returning little more than $200,000 in postage.
1: In 1840s. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Even after the railroad had been completed across the Isthmus of Panama in January of 1855, steamship delivery remained inadequately slow.
1: Now, the alternative overland travel across the desolate terrain west of the Missouri River was dangerous and unreliable. The first attempt at overland mail service to the West Coast came in 1851, when George Chopin and Absalom Woodward contracted with the U.S. government for monthly delivery of mail between Sacramento, California and Salt Lake City, Utah, by way of the Carson Valley. To facilitate delivery, they arranged for some crude stations to be erected along the route. That service, combined with Stagecoach-delivered service from Salt Lake East to Independence, Missouri, effectively established regular, overland, transcontinental mail delivery. Overall, this mail service was satisfactory, although it was sometimes late because of bad weather, especially during the winter. Or fell victim to attacks by uh, Native Americans.
0: Mm-hmm. And that that trip, you know, whether it was by stagecoach or just wagon, was about three weeks. When it was good and everything went well. Okay. No bad weather, no attacks, nobody getting sick.
1: But not three months.
0: Not three months. Yeah. So while shortening and Woodwards operations ultimately foundered, John Butterfield established a new southern mail route, the Butterfield Overland Mail Company, this is what I was talking about, three weeks, signed a six-year contract with the U.S. government on September 15th, 1857. The Butterfield, or Oxbow, route went from St. Louis, Missouri, south to Little Rock, through El Paso, Texas, then west to Yuma, Arizona, and then on to Los Angeles, and north to San Francisco for a total distance of some 2,700 miles over a 25-30 to day schedule. The Butterfield service, however, was susceptible to attacks by the Apache, Comanche, and Ki- Kiowa peoples. Moreover, with the beginning of the Civil War in 1861, most of the Butterfield-Overland mail line would be disrupted and destroyed by Confederate troops.
1: And we will say that the word attacks are being used, and we are missing the word trespass. Yes. So that is occurring at the same time. And that's
0: a big thing, and we'll talk about it a little mm-hmm. bit because the Pony Express runs into that. The Native Americans felt like they were being encroached upon. Well, sure. And they were. Right. (laughs) They obviously were.
1: And I'm sure that these people came with guns, too, right, to protect themselves. So with war seemingly imminent and the Butterfield route jeopardized by growing north-south tension, there was an urgent demand for fast central route mail service, despite the widespread belief that dependable service along the central route was impossible. It was this demand that gave rise to the idea of the Pony Express. So okay. there are varied accounts of the origin of the idea of the Pony Express. Some attribute the idea for the Pony Express to B.F. Ficklin and general superintendent of the huge Russell's Majors and Waddle Freight and Stage okay. Company. I
0: was going to jump in because I, I yeah. figured you might mispronounce Waddell.
1: Waddell. Yep. So okay. it's
0: Russell, Majors, and Waddell. And they're the Pony Express
1: guys. Got it. Oh, yeah. We can't say that one right. Um, who said? Who is said to have shared his notion of a relay of horse riders carrying the mail from St. Joseph, Missouri, to Sacramento with California Senator William N. Gwynn, while the two traveled on horseback from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. in 1854. Now, others credit William H. Russell... Um, who is said to have discussed the concept of a horse relay system with John B. Floyd, the U.S. Secretary of War, in early 1858. Still other possible originators include John Scudder, uh, Russell Majors and Waddell employee who claimed that he and co-workers in Salt Lake City conceived the idea in December 1859 and Frederick B a partner in a telegraph company who reportedly approached a number of owners of San Francisco newspapers with a similar plan in the mid1850s
0: I almost cut this out but it, it's a good example that with the Pony Express there's so much fact and fiction mm-hmm. and there's so much that we don't know and and right. something like well how did the idea get started well there's been not the Pony Express with capital P and E. <laughs> there have been mail deliveries using this system. I mean, going back to the Mongols. I mean, it's it's not a unique idea. Right. And people on the West Coast are agitating for information. So it's bubbling up everywhere about how are you going to get mail out here? We don't want to wait six months. We don't want to wait three months. We don't want to wait three weeks. Right. So we want something that's faster. So regardless of who originated the idea, by January of 1860, Russell was sup- running with it, supported by Senator Gwynn. The contract with the government that resulted called for mail service to start that April, which meant that there would be little time to prepare. Russell, however, had not consulted his partners before mm. committing to the deal. This happens <laughs> a lot. He's kind of an idea guy. Uh, And though Alexander Majors and William Waddell were opposed to the plan, they decided not to renege on the agreement. And together, the three plunged into the task of establishing the Pony Express.
1: So Russell's Majors and Waddell set up a separate corporation, the Central Overland, California, and Pikes Peak Express Company for liability purposes. They acquired equipment, facilities, and experienced personnel from the Chorpanine Stage Company and bought smaller passenger freight and mail businesses outright, including the Leavenworth and Pikes Peak Express Company and the Hockaday Stage Line. Each of the three men had a very specific role. Personable, sophisticated, and politically astute, Russell went to Washington, D.C. to represent them in a complex world of national politics. Majors, who was at home on the prairie and knew how to handle horses, oxen, heavy wagons, and unruly crews, managed the operation on the open range. The low-key, practical Waddell oversaw purchasing, hiring, payroll, and bookkeeping from the home office, which moved from Leavenworth, Kansas, where the company had been headquartered since 1855, to St. Joseph, Missouri, the eastern starting point for the Pony Express.
0: So that sums up these three guys really well. Um, you've got um, Rus- um, Russell, who's who's the, the glad-hander. Yeah. He's the idea guy, he's the smooth talker. The other two are far more experienced. Um, Waddell is the money guy. He knows books, he knows accounting, and Majors is the guy who had been out there driving wagons. He knew the terrain. The other two didn't, so he's very keenly aware this thing's going to be a problem to put together. And we got to find the right guys and the right equipment. And the other two don't really quite understand. And what how they're did getting they
1: get into. together? Do you ever understand um, that some relationship? Some bu- different
0: business relationships okay. that just kind of started with different businesses and they started investing with each other yeah yeah so the first half of the route they established followed the oregon trail from st joseph it passed through kansas nebraska colorado and wyoming to utah west of salt lake city it departed from the familiar pioneer trail and took a more southerly route through nevada ending in san francisco a total distance of some 1840 miles uh, we usually round up to about 2,000 is, is the way that most uh, Pony Express people talk about it. To meet its guarantee of 10-day delivery, and that wow. is the guarantee, 10 days Uh, mail and newspapers only, from St. Joseph to San Francisco, the company required its horses to be ridden at top speed. The horses, therefore, could not run a great distance and had to be changed every 10 to 15 miles, depending on the train. The company established nearly 200 relay stations along the route, at each of which the rider quickly took the mochila, a specially designed saddlebag with mail pouches, which weighed about 20 pounds when filled, four four pockets. They were in front of the, the rider's legs and behind the rider's legs. Wow. Uh, so five pounds in each pocket, from his saddle and threw it on the fresh mount. Home stations were scattered along the route with food and sleeping quarters for riders after they had ridden all day or night to hand off the mochila to the new rider. Because existing stage stations were often not close enough together for Pony Express use, additional stations had to be built. Because most of the trail through Utah, Nevada, crossed wasteland, nearly all the relay stations there, rudimentary structures... uh, providing the barest uh, essentials, had to be built from scratch. Mm. In parts of the western route, the trail itself had to be surveyed to ensure that it was the fastest route.
1: Well, and you can run into some canyons and mountains very quickly in uh, those areas. (laughs) Uh, In addition to preparing the trail and building stations, the company had to procure hundreds of top-quality horses. The horses that were used varied according to the terrain, but most were half-breed California Mustangs. Well-fed with the best grain, these horses were faster than the most- Um, most other horses of that day and in addition to meeting the demands of the schedule they often saved the lives of riders who were able to outdistance attackers of course the best horses were of no use without experienced riders and so Russell Majors and Waddell assigned their division superintendents the task of hiring 70 to 80 riders each they sought young men born to the saddle undaunted by danger and generally slight of build so as to minimize the strain on their mouths
0: so there's a famous poster wanted young wiry skinny fellows orphans preferred Um, and while they did recruit a lot of younger guys, um, they actually had just as many older riders, oh, ultimately, um, that signed up for this. Because it was pretty sure. good pay, as we'll talk about. Candidates also needed knowledge of the portion of the trail to which they were assigned. Anyone riding at top speed along a trail in rain or snow or at night had to be familiar with the terrain. For their efforts, the riders were paid from 100 to $150 per month for their efforts. Wow. And average pay in this time period is like thirty bucks. Oh my goodness! If you're like a cowboy working on a on a ranch somewhere, you're making thirty bucks. So it was pretty good pay. Um, t- 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 wages for station keepers and general hands range from down to down from that down to fifty bucks a month plus room and board, uh, which in most cases did not amount to much. Once stations had been built, staff hired, and the route finalized, the company set up collection points for mail in a number of major cities, including New York, Washington, Chicago, and St. Louis, from which it channeled it to uh, St. Joseph. So there's a railroad. Mm. That was the reason St. Joe, Missouri, that's as far west as the railroad went. Okay. So they would rush mail, and a lot of times the riders were waiting (sighs) before they could leave to get that mail because they knew there were some things destined for, for San Francisco. Um. A similar arrangement was set up on the West Coast. Finally, there was the matter of the schedule, which had to be followed strictly by every rider and maintained day and night in all weather without exceptions. The mail had to go through. This was the fundamental motivating force for Pony Express riders.
1: Now, greeted with great fanfare and excitement, the first ride of the Pony Express on April 3rd, 1860, was reported by newspapers across the country. The first mochilla of mail included a letter from President James Buchanan to Governor John Downey of California, congratulating him on the Pony Express. Forty riders participated in the Express's first sprint across the country, which ended in downtown Sacramento at 5.45 p.m. on April 13th exactly 10 days after the first rider had left St. Joseph. The festive welcome in Sacramento, bands playing, bells ringing, and people standing on balconies and rooftops waving flags, singing and shouting, was repeated hours later in San Francisco after the mail was conveyed to its final destination by the large side steamboat, Antelope. With the historic first ride, the Pony Express fulfilled its promise to get mail from St. Joseph to San Francisco in 10 days, Never before in history had letters been delivered over such a distance so quickly.
0: Although there's no, and that first writer was named Johnny Fry.
1: Oh. He what? was
0: a 14 or 16-year-old kid that uh, was known well around St. Joe, Missouri, and so he had the honor of being the first one. Oh, how fun. And he left from right below my office back there oh. at the museum. Um, Because our office was in the stables. Oh, my goodness. Although there's uh, no record of the exact number of stations along the Pony Express route, uh, most historians, including me, estimate that there was about 190. The station keeper's responsibilities included the saddled readiness of a change horse for the incoming rider and the keeping of an accurate record of the rider's arrival and departure times. The distance between stations, determined by the distance a good horse could run at full gallop over that particular terrain, was usually 10 or 15 miles. So out, out, further out west, a lot of times they were within like 10 miles of each other because of the rough terrain. Sure. Sure. Uh, In flat country, where the trail was not difficult, stations were further apart, especially like in Kansas. In the mountains, they were closer together. Some of the worst locations in terms of access to natural resources and vulnerability to attacks were between Salt Lake City and Carson City, Nevada. But it was dangerous working in any of the isolated, indefensible cabins, most of which could be easily overrun.
1: Not much is known about the stations themselves, but in most cases, they were hardly built for comfort. Most of the relay posts consisted of small, simple cabins with a few stalls and a corral for the horses. All but the best stations had dirt floors. Glass windows were unknown, and the furniture often consisted of empty wooden crates. Food at the smaller stations was a little more than sufficient to keep the workers from starvation. Cured meats, dried fruit, flour for bread baked in an open fire, molasses, pickles, coffee, and cornmeal. Mm -hmm. The home stations were much bigger, with extra sleeping quarters for a couple of riders. Here, a rider could eat at a more leisurely pace, chat with the station keeper and his assistants, and above all, get a good rest and prep for his next demanding trip.
0: Yeah, so each rider went about 75 to 100 miles would be wow. their weight, And then they would wait for the mail coming the other direction. They'd go right back. So they would ride, for the most part, and we'll talk about a few... That would just ride the same route back and forth over and over again. makes sense. So riders faced a host of perils. In addition to the discomfort and danger of the rough terrain, harsh weather, insects, and scarce water on the trail, sometimes Native Americans uh, threatened both them and the stations. Uh, Indeed, in the spring and summer of 1860, so they'd only been going for a few months uh, the Pony Express found itself in the middle of the Pyramid Lake War uh, with the Paiute uh, people in Nevada. The Paiutes were sick and tired of sure. all these incursions, and they started attacking all of these. So it became very dangerous, and they actually shut down a number of times because they decided it was too dangerous. We can't do this. Okay. So it, it did hurt them. There's about 30 miles um, around Carson City where it got really, really dangerous.
1: Uh, and, and, of course, it's Carson City is it's in kind of like a valley so it's surrounded on all sides by huge mountains. Never been there. Yeah. So it's right and right by Reno. So soon after the start of the Pony Express, the fame of the young riders, some merely boys, began to spread throughout the country. They were considered a special class of citizens. Although they were young and small in stature, they tackled a big job. As newspapers about them circulated, their image became larger than life. Newspapers built them up to the level of epic heroes. Much was expected of the writers, both in terms of their duty in their personal life. In fact, writers were required to take the following pledge.
0: I, Johnny Fry, do hereby swear before the great and living God that during my engagement, and while I am an employee of Russell Majors and Waddell, I will, under no circumstances, use profane language, that I will drink no intoxicating liquors, that I will not quarrel or fight with any other employee of the firm, and that in every respect I will conduct myself honestly, be faithful to my duties, and so direct all my acts as to win the confidence of my employer. So help me God. So they actually were issued Bibles for a little while. (laughs) One of the bosses was religious and as much as we like that in history this little oath none of them took it seriously
1: no. <laughs> I, was say, I mean <laughs> i mean for, a few made it for but the time was... when they're riding the horse what can they do right yeah. i mean yeah uh, so those who seriously vitally violated, violated this oath could expect to be terminated with the loss of back pay. This is not to say that the Pony Express writers were saints, but in most cases, they were devoted to their task and proved their loyalty again and again. Among the best known of the writers was William Buffalo Bill Cody, whose adventures rank among the most exciting in the annals of mail service. including one nearly continuous 22-hour ride in Wyoming from the Red Butte Station to Pacific Springs and back, a distance of some 300 miles. There were also dramatic accounts of Cody's heroic escapes from natives and highwaymen, though some of his exploits were the creations of dime novelists and publicity agents. So this
0: is one of the reasons we remember the Pony Express. Yes. Buffalo Bill Cody was a showman. <laughs> he did work for the Pony Express. He might have even been a writer, Now, whether he made the most exciting ride ever, doubtful, because there's another guy that we're about to mention that did. But because of the dime novels, because of his Wild West show, that's why we remember the Pony Express. Plus, his boss, because it was a financial failure, and we're going to run out of time here, but Alexander Majors, of the three partners, was the only one that paid the debts, and he went bankrupt. Mm. And Buffalo Bill Cody found him basically homeless and paid for him to be in a nice hotel and write his memoirs that included... The Pony Express. Oh. So that's one of the other reasons we we remember this thing, because it failed um, less than 18 months later. But there is a, a really exciting rider...
1: Another of the service's most storied riders was Pony Bob Haslam, holder of the record for the longest and fastest run in the history of the Pony Express. That much celebrated run in May 1860 began at Friday Station on the southwest shore of Lake Tahoe and took him east on his normal route to Buckland Station, though without the benefit of a relief horse en route, and then on another through the hostile Paiute territory when the rider was... um, Uh, threatened, having ridden some 100 miles, 190 miles in that single day, in essence, turned around and went right back, this time replacing a rider who did not show up and rescuing a station master from attacks along the way. Now, in the end, he traveled 360 miles in 40 hours. Pony Bob. Unbelievable. Yeah,
0: and there are a lot of stories like that that are pretty incredible. So, by October of 1861, so 18 months later, the cross continental telegraph is put in place and the Pony Express makes its last ride. Um, But it uh, was remembered forever. And even though it was a financial failure, and uh, one of the guys went bankrupt and it never made money it lost a ton of money because oh. it just was way too expensive to mail something it
1: sounds harrowing so. and at some point they would have start start losing their staff yes. i would think
0: yeah well that's why pony bob had to make <laughs> right. double runs exactly. people are like i ain't going out there right so but it's still a great story yes. and it is a uh, part of our americana yes uh, idea of our sense of self
1: as are you with the Clatsop county historical society mac good job on 20 years
0: go <laughs> make some history we'll catch you next week
1: Thank you for joining us for an adventure in history.